0: To the best bits of the Breakfasters from Three Triple
1: You are listening to the Breakfasters podcast for the week seventeenth of July to the twenty first of July. This week, I told uh, you guys all about the tram that I got on that went in the wrong direction and confused me very much. It was quite a story. It was
0: uh, also. <laughs> Digger, Justin Calvary, came in for Down and Dirty. Talked a lot about fruit trees. Uh, and also, we had a chat about um, first concerts. Tips for going to your first concert. What was your first concert? Tell us all about it.
2: Yes, and then we caught up with Vince Gilligan, the man behind Breaking Bag, Bad and Better Call Saw. We had a lovely
1: chat with him. It was a lovely chat. Yes.
3: Triple R, not for everyone, for anyone. Dirt, dirt, dirt.
0: It's where you grow your plants. Dirt, dirt, dirt. Hey, you got some on your pants. Can you stop saying about <laughs> dirt? I feel like that's every
1: your time. that's your internal monologue, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> You're on
2: Breakfasters. It's time to get down and dirty with Justin Digger Calvary. How are you going, Digger? Good, good. Morning
3: all. Good morning. How are we? Oh,
1: a lot better for hearing about the 55 times you've broken every bone in your body. <laughs> that was almost sickening. In and of itself, it was the stuff you don't get on air.
3: Yeah, uh, the gold. Yes. <laughs> <Just> the... <laughs> Just a
0: dickhead,
3: really. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah most okay. people, you know, mum always used to say as kids, avoid the danger. And I used to just find it. You, yeah, apparently so. Yeah.
0: Have you ever broken a bone whilst pruning a fruit tree? Oh, there's a nice segue. Oh, Thank geez, you. That is
3: 9.9. <laughs> 9. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, no, I haven't. I've had a couple of hairy moments hanging out of a tree. It's like, mm. you know, when you get that internal gut feeling, it's like, this is probably not smart. I've had that many a time, and and it's like <laughs> I am one yeah thirty millimeter slip of the foot, and I'm done. Oh. Oh. But anyway, no, I haven't. <laughs> Not yet. Oh, get <laughs> <gross. laughs> Tell some happy yeah. things about fruit trees. We'll
1: fruit be fruit. revisiting this audio if it yeah.
3: never does <laughs> happen. For insurance purposes. <laughs> um, yeah, busy time with the, in the orchard, so with your fruit trees this time of year. Um, so, you know, you're out there maybe buying deciduous fruit trees, getting them in the ground, so you've got to do a bit of planting, but it's all the big maintenance stuff. So the pruning, which freaks people out, but it is time to prune your deciduous fruit trees. Um, so it, it's just so complicated that we haven't. Well, yeah, we've only got a few minutes, so it would literally take all day to go through the all the nitty gritty. But the basic details are: in winter time, you really want to concentrate on pruning for fruiting. Okay. So trees produce their fruit on different aged wood: some on one-year-old wood, some on two-year-old wood, some on older. Um, And there's a dummies guide. I've, I've been doing it for many years. I thought there's got to be a dummies guide to this. So forget about all the tops of your trees, your deciduous trees in winter. Don't touch anything kind of like above your head height because by pruning that in winter, the tree wakes up from dormancy in spring and goes, you know, what happened to my head? I've got to replace that. Get pissed off. Sounds like one of your stories from earlier on. Exactly. I've got to replace that quick smart. So it sends all of its energy up to the top of the tree because it's like I'm a tree. Ah. I've got to get big. That's what I do. That's what I've evolved to do. Yeah. So in doing that, it, it can forego some of the energy it would send to what's called the lateral wood, which is the little thin stuff that comes off the side of your framework branches.
0: Right. So you want it- to give it a short back and sides and leave it on top.
3: Exactly. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> You're hired. (laughs) you (laughs) win today? Come on, tour with me. So it's all the little stuff that you just give a thinning out. So the basic rules of of pruning are dead, diseased and damaged. So anything that falls into that category would need to come out. So if it's had a split or it's been hit by hail or some grubs in it or whatever it might be, that would come out first. And then essentially just thinning everything back. So my rule of thumb... (laughs) is essentially, <laughs> um, uh, within roughly about 30 centimetres or a foot of your framework branches, if you just prune back to that, then you're going to get some fruit off every plant. Oh, wow. You yeah. won't get everything, but you'll get something. think is guaranteed? Yeah, guaranteed. And do all fruit trees need this? Or, um, so are, they, or are they different for different trees? Well, they? no tree needs us full stop. So, you know, probably start that. They'll, they'll fruit without us and they'll, you know, do all that sort of stuff. But the whole idea is when you start pruning... You're redirecting growth of the tree. So it's almost like if you set these wheels in motion, you can't stop. You've got to keep going because you're telling the tree what to do, whereas it would normally just rearrange itself and send growth into areas that it wants to do it.
1: So, what would happen if you didn't prune it?
3: Would it just never fruit? It would fruit, yeah, it would absolutely, it would fruit, but you would get things called like biennial bearing, whereas because it's not pruned, it's got you know 100% capacity to produce fruit once it's mature, and so if we have the perfect storm of great water and it's got nutrient and the weather's perfect, it'll fruit as much as it possibly can. The year after that, it just has it's just tired. It's like having a, having a baby. You, uh, know, you, you don't go straight back the year after. Sure. You have a rest, <laughs> um, and so you know you go from 100% to maybe five or 10% the next year. So for a lot of people, especially if you think commercial orchards, they can't have that. You know they've signed their contract with woolies, woolies want their 100 ton of apples, so they can't have a year off, and you'd need your income. So in, even in the urban orchard, you want to get a steady crop each year. So by pruning some of the fruiting wood off, it can never reach a 100 percent capacity. So you're taking at least 30, 40, 50 percent of the fruiting wood off each year. you're going to get a consistent 50 percent. and a mature tree is going to produce hundreds and hundreds of apples anyway. so you know. Now can you over prune? You can because you can if you don't know what you're actually pruning off. You can prune off all of your fruiting wood, and that happens right. quite often you with people. Just left with stick. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it's it just, like just yeah. the stick that he
1: had in his house. <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> so that that can happen, but the, the main key with pruning is, is document it. We're lucky these days; you've got you know smartphones that sort of stuff. Take a before shot and get in close and have a look at the fruiting wood because when you when you get right in close, you can actually see the tree's growth. There's different bark, different colours on each year of the wood. So if you start from the outside and work your way in, you can age the tree and you can age the wood that that particular variety of fruit's on. So take your photo in winter, take a photo in spring, take a photo in summer, and then you've got it mapped out. So then you can't really fail the next year. It's like, well, if I prune this off, I'm not going to get any fruit. So are, I'll just go one year. Burn. Are there
2: any fruit trees in particular you
3: recommend for maybe our listeners who aren't that good at gardening, or easy ones? Um, the easiest ones would be quince. If you like you know
1: oh, it's a quince's quince head, yeah, the they're farm?
3: boutique, you know, quince jelly and that sort of stuff. They're as tough you could seriously grow one out your armpit. <laughs> <That's a laughs> sense <of> your <laughs> um they're really, really easy. Um, tough as nails, a beautiful architectural shape there, you know, they've got this because they're ancient, they're real ancient Persian fruit, so they've got this whimsical kind of pattern to there and the the blossom is probably I would say it's probably my favourite flower, full mm. stop. It's absolutely wow. beautiful. Wow, oh no, above yeah, all everything. flowers. Yeah, above everything. Wow. So it's this beautiful white open open flower, this little pink blush on it. It's just absolutely beautiful. And the fruit itself, when it ripens, it's, it emits this amazing scent that fills the garden. So um, they're really tough. I've had one in a pot for 17 years now, and I've neglected it, and it's still going strong.
1: Yeah, we just had one up the back at our farm, mm. and it just...
3: Every year, just fruited and boom, boom, appeared. boom. They're self they're pollinating, so you don't have to worry about having others to cross pollinate. Um, they're just really hardy, really, really hardy.
1: Uh, what about um, ones that are good to grow in pots? Because, like, a lot of people I know just live in apartments and yep. I, like, I live in a unit and yep. I can't grow a fruit tree theres there. I've been told by gardeners before, don't grow any fruit trees in pots.
3: No, you absolutely can. So, there's dwarf varieties. I think we've mentioned dwarf oh, varieties. That's right. before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And every year, there's new varieties coming out. So, they're called super dwarfs now. So, Dwarfing varieties are somewhere between two to three metres tall. Super dwarfs are down to two to one and a half metres tall. So they're essentially a shrub. Huh. And that, that minimises the need for pruning because they're not going to get that big anyway. Yeah, so right. they can stay in like a 50 centimetre pot to a half wine barrel their whole life.
1: Forever?
3: Forever. And is right. the fruit the same size as Everything's the fruit? Everything's the same size. It's all, it's all just driven by the rootstock, right. which they're grafted onto, which just is a naturally occurring little guy. And so, what kind of fruit would they be? So you can get, you know, dwarf apples. You can get dwarf nectarines, dwarf peaches, um, all different sorts of stuff these days. So we're not not at the stage yet where we can have everything. All the citrus family, they they can come in dwarfs these days, which is really popular. And I mean, citrus are a pain in the armpit. Why? <laughs> well, they're just really susceptible to everything. They get so many diseases and pests. Um, which leads me on to, you know, the next you know, job we need to do. But they just – they fruit and all those sorts of things, but you have to monitor them. You have to be out there looking at them and doing something at least every second week mm-hmm. to take care of them, to, for them to be healthy.
0: So what's the best low-maintenance low, low, maintenance
3: low Absolute low-maintenance would be the POM family, which is apples, pears, quince. Hmm. Okay, they're way great. easier than your stone fruit, so apricots, peaches, nectarines, because, again, they have higher-maintenance regimes. So one of the next things... we're going to get a pear tree. Yeah.
0: Then I'll put a partridge <laughs> yeah <out. laughs>
2: Hey, do without wanting to derail you, we've just got a message from Kerry yep. wanting to know the best way to dig up a tree stump. Uh, I only have a shovel, no pickaxe.
3: Ah, okay. That's... that's- difficult um, with just a shovel. So you, you start at the, you know, it depends on how big it was, but you've got to start at what we call the drip line. So as wide as what the canopy was, huh. start digging out there. Um, Did wow. she say what species it is? No, that's all I've got. Yeah, okay. Because um, they've all got different root systems. So start there and try and find the main anchoring roots. So all trees will have, you know, three or four of the, of the big chunky ones. That's the stuff that I don't know how she's going to get through, chopping through them without... Yeah, you know, with just a spade so you're going to need a matic or some sort so of maybe they need to get a cutting case. equipment yeah to cut through them and once you cut through them there's only the fibrous feeder roots left so it should be able to pop so you can do a bit of rocking with them but you've got to find those main anchoring roots first
1: pop that sounds satisfying yeah
3: mm. and the, and another <laughs> tip for it, just make sure the day before you give it a massive big soaking so kind of like make a big donut around it and soak it and it just makes the soil a bit easier to dig through Excellent. Clever.
2: Yeah. Oh, all right. Thank you so much, Digger. Um, everyone should get onto their fruit trees. Yeah, get into Make it. Make some quince jelly too. <laughs> we'll see you soon. See ya. Three Triple R.
4: You're in
1: Triple R with Sarah, Jeff and Geraldine. Hey, so I don't like taking buses because... I lived in Sydney for a while and I always feel like buses. I know this is where you and I differ, Jez, because you get them all the time. I always get scared of buses going the wrong way. I feel like it's easier for me to get on a bus with a certain number that's going to suddenly turn onto a freeway and I'm like now on five kilometres. I'm 100% with you. Yes. Yep.
2: What right. Trams, trains, are on tracks. You yeah, know you
1: can't go. You know, yep. The worst you can do on a train is go one stop too much. You get off, yep. you get on the track that's going the opposite 100%. way, you're back. Yeah, so
0: just get on a bus at the end of the buses go can just
1: turn. You just get on a bus. You go. This is five four seven. Go, you get on and it just can't just off.
0: go and go. oh, yeah, No, I'm going to be the five one
1: eight now. Yeah, but I, you know, you know. I'm not always sure of the numbers. Well, there's, a, there's a process involved with a bus yes. that isn't involved Looking with the tram timetable. Well, yes, yeah. tram. You know where you're going. Oh well, this is what I thought. Except that on Friday I went into the city after we'd been on air. I had to go and go to do some. Chores, and I went in, and on my way out, I got on the bus that comes back up Nicholson Street. So that comes out of the city. I don't know what is the Brunswick East ninety. What is that ninety out the front? Ninety six. Ninety six. Sorry, the bus. Are we talking bus. Are we no, I got a tram. Tramp. Got yeah. a tram. Sorry, coming out of the city up Burke Street. Yep, and uh, it we we're going up Nicholson, and it just turned just turned off down Gertrude and just started going in the wrong direction. It became the 80s. Just just for no reason. So I never know if it was possible. I thought Tran tracks were like set. And that a tram just now, had to go-
0: haven't you ever seen the, the tram driver get out with his big pole and stick it
1: in the ground? And- well, I did on Friday because we turned and we started going down Gertrude. And interestingly, you discover what kind of person you are when this kind of thing happens because I just started turning around and asking everyone next to me, <laughs> what's happening? What do you think oh, yeah, you, right, you know, <laughs> And everyone's going, oh, I don't know. Like, we're all here together. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it but- took then, – well, then someone walked up to the tram driver and tapped on the thing and she goes, oh, oh. And she stopped and then she put her brakes on and then went out the front of the tram and looked and then ran up the back of the tram and looked again. And then she goes, oh, sorry, sorry. And Oh, no. Yeah, and she'd got, she'd, she'd just, really gone the wrong way. She'd literally just gone the wrong way. It wasn't like we, were on, we, we all thought we were on the wrong tram. And so she had to get out and wind the tracks. But it, so just the way that it occurred was that there was all these cars behind us. So she had to back back a certain way and all these cars had to reverse back up Gertrude Street. And then she had to go on to the other track so that she could go, kind of go Ah. back into the city. But the process wasn't as easy as, like, reversing out and going forwards again, which you would think. She reversed out and then we were all stuck on the tram. They wouldn't open the doors for us. And she had some kind of, you know, I don't know, call to, like, HQ. I don't know where she was. And she had to reverse us all the way back into the... We had to go all the way back into the city again, so we'd How come that far, far into out, the city, all the way back in, like back into Swan- Swanston Street or whatever, like back where we'd started. Yeah, and she wasn't letting; they wouldn't open the doors for any for any of us. There was obviously a process they have to follow, and so people were cracking it because this whole thing took about thirty minutes, and we just—you think you're getting on a tram, you and you're just staying. let me out. I know, you're right? you by the inside. but also it was really weird because people like me just sit there and go. Oh, well. You know what I mean? I just put my headphones out of my car and I've got nowhere to be. But there's always one person who's the psycho and there was – well, not the psycho, but there's always a couple that kind of arc up and – most people on the tram were really calm about it, but there was one woman who had young girls with her who was cracking it. And the, the tram driver had to keep running between the front and the back. I felt really bad for her. I just thought, you've had the worst day. And she just looked so upset about the whole thing. And every time she had to run up to the other side of the tram, this woman would be like, this isn't good enough. Let us off the tram. Let us off the tram. And we, oh, it was just horrible. And so we were all trapped on this tram with this woman that was yelling at the tram driver. But I don't understand why
0: you can't get off the truck. No. I don't understand. To be fair, it. Like, I didn't
1: understand either.
0: It went there when it first happened and there's traffic all around. Yes, I understand there. But if you're going past so many stops, I just know. stop. And let us off, mate. All the way back into the city. I know. I did. Like,
1: I understood why the woman was yelling, but I just thought. So I suppose... Yeah, you don't yell at the... I spot,
2: but I mean, I'd never thought about that before, I suppose. But if you're a driver and you change routes, you've got to actually learn at which points to turn. And if you you could easily do that,
1: couldn't yeah, you? Yeah, if you just zoned out. For, and she probably does... That tram driver probably does that route, different routes all the time. So she just went, oh, yeah, here I am, going around the corner. I usually go around. And in that moment... Because think how many times you're in a car and you just... But this, she didn't steer it around the corner. She did. Well, you gotta There's no steering wheel in a tram. Yeah, you got to go, you got to follow the track around or go follow it forward.
2: Well, you got to do something to make sure you because, go one way or the other yeah, than the
1: other. Yeah, because the tram's there. Are, some go forward and some go yeah. right. So you have to do something to choose right or go forwards.
0: Yeah, that's why they walk out with that no, pole in No, they, they don't do that. It. They just
1: either turn or they go forward.
2: Huh. I wonder what it happened if no one had alerted her. Can alert.
0: someone please text us and say
2: <laughs> explain the mysteries of the <laughs> oh, <no>. Yeah. <laughs> cuz I'm just going to
1: work this out on air otherwise.
2: But um yeah, so did she do you think she figured it out herself that she'd made a mistake or was it cuz every other passengers I, were Oh,
1: I actually think it's the... cuz we banged on the window. I think she was just
0: I Wonder what would have happened, happened if
1: no one had... She would have just ended up. I know. Up. Would have kept going.
0: She would have just gone down Smith Street, taking the 86. I
1: actually think the reason, though, that she couldn't open the doors on the way back in because she wasn't allowed to let people back on the tram because we weren't going. Our final destination wasn't, you know, St Kilda or wherever the hell that tram goes. It was she just needed to reverse back you up. and just it. make an announcement. Oh, though. and then even worse, she stopped at... It stopped us, not even the whole... It didn't bring us all the way back to, to here on Nicholson Street. It stopped at, like, Pigeon Street or something down there and we all had to get off because by that stage, the trams were all so far behind. So, man, was that what, lady was there, yelling with her kids. Was there any announcement? Was oh. there any... Export? No, no. No, huh. she just said, oh, sorry, we're on our way now. And then, then she said, oh, now you all have to get off Yeah, I'm going to get, <laughs> get off and wait for another tram. Oh,
0: mate. That's the frustrating thing is the the unknown, though. It's like you, you just want a simple explanation. I know. I know. It's I th- like once you know, it's like, oh, we can't do it because, you know, the doors won't open on this side or whatever it is. You go, okay, I understand. Yeah. But it's that lack of communication with public transport that is just so highly frustrating. I wonder if you were
2: trying to steal a tram, how far you could
1: get with it.
0: Oh, my God, that's a really good point. Well, there was that 16-year-old. Was he 16? Years ago, there was a young boy that. Was it. Yeah, yeah. It's all a tram. Yeah. Well he just the driver got and he just hopped in. Yeah, he got in the driver. He wanted to be a tram driver. He was young, like a teenager and he he stopped at the stops and everything though. He just wanted to have He a just go. stopped at it, so how did he know what to do? Oh, he's just I don't know, right, when he you're just a fan. It
2: out. <laughs> probably didn't know probably no one noticed. That's awesome. Yeah,
0: yeah, you just you just got in and he missed a couple of people who were like, oh, the a stop there. And he goes, oh, sorry. This is years ago. At what
1: point were <laughs> people <laughs> like, there's a 16-year-old driving the tram? People are just I think sitting there people saying are stops. <laughs> He does look a
0: bit young, yeah. but I suppose he knows this what is, he's doing.
1: This is what I've discovered about humans. Yeah. We just kind of go, oh, yeah. Somebody but then knows I think, what's
0: happening. Like, All right. Yarra Trams, you know, said when he's old enough he could have a job.
1: Oh, I reckon so he'd be at
0: that age they now, didn't find they? him. Well, I think he got into a bit of trouble. But they said at the end of the day, it's just nice to have a fan.
2: Yeah,
1: well, don't steal trams. Ding, ding. And uh, thanks to all the former tram drivers, et cetera, that contacted us about why that may have occurred. Yeah. There was many reasons, mainly to do with electronic scheduling. Yes. Oh. Yes. But no, they didn't explain why, how it could have gone off the tracks, but, but anyway.
2: seems to be more to trams than meet the ice. <laughs> Three,
4: triple...
0: You're listening to breakfasts here on Triple R. Uh, like we said earlier, just talking about them, Bobo Royale is coming here to play. Some lucky listeners won. Some double passes come along. Uh, may or may not be their first ever live music experience. It may be. Imagine that. Imagine, that'd be, a, that'd a, be good, a good
1: first time. Yes, I reckon. all thanks to us.
0: Yeah. Uh, but maybe um, want to talk about what's some, what's some tips for, you know, going to your... First ever concert, um, uh, you know, for example, um, like where's the best place to to stand, and like if it's an you know, a thing that's not seated,
1: (laughs) do you know someone who's going to their first ever gig? Like, Uh,
0: have your
1: niece or nephew been to
0: like their first kind of live show yet? Oh, I took, I took um my niece she came she came here to see um Julie Jacqueline oh, which cool. is really great yeah so I thought that that was a good first time experience but other than the wiggles just going to
2: say cuz i feel like A lot of kids now go to their first ever gigs, like, you know, be like one of those crybaby sessions. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, And the first ever gig is like when they're two or something. And I
1: think it's also more common to go to like big pop concerts when you're younger. I remember that kind of being out of our reach as kids, you know, just because it was expensive. (coughs) It wasn't something that, you know, Mm. my parents wouldn't take me along to see Miley Cyrus or something. But I feel like there's more of that kind of accessible pop music for younger people now?
4: Yeah, I remember going good. to see Split
2: Ends when I was a little boy.
4: Yeah, right.
2: And um, my only memory of it was, my God, this is so loud, it's hurting my ears. Oh, yeah, I really? want to go home.
0: Isn't that funny? <laughs> Dude, did you go with your parents? Was it a family thing?
2: <sighs> I suppose I must have gone with my parents. I can't remember. I suppose I must oh. have because I would have been when too young. But you it was just like? like it was, um, well, you know, I like the music because they were a very catchy, band, things Yeah. You know, like if you're a kid, they're, sort of, and they're very colourful. Yeah, you yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, but I just had no...
1: I can remember thinking, why do adults like this? This hurts. This <laughs> yeah. physically hurts. It's probably yeah. illegal now for a little kid to be. Yeah, you probably yeah. have to have those little muffs <laughs> over your ears.
0: Yeah. you got Well, there's there's one tip, take hearing protection. Yeah, know. that
1: always helps if you're a little thing.
0: Yeah. No. Uh,
1: I remember the distinct awkward feeling, though. Like so many of my first live uh, music experiences were because they used to have these underage shows, which I've spoken about before, mm. called De- <laughs> Detention and a Fruit Bowl. Oh. And uh, they happened at like the local... Kind of pool, like, you know, Ashburton Pools, and there was one kind of further out as well in Eltham. And uh, you just go and it was five bucks, and, you know, we still get drunk beforehand or whatever. (laughs) But, you know, and you'd go and there was one room that was for dancing, so dancing, so there'd be like a DJ and a smoke machine in the other room that you like yes. a bunch of bands and there was like
0: Magic Dirt oh, played exactly the living there. end. Yeah. yeah they were, but I it think, was called something else in Aubrey. Freezer. They were run by Freezer yes. which is the yeah. Maybe that's what we called them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and
1: that was, that was so I didn't realise how lucky I was at the time. Like I was watching these bands like for five bucks and I think yeah. maybe like yeah, and Regurgitator. And, yeah, Regurgitator. Um, yeah, it was it's kind of unbelievable now but I all do distinctly remember not knowing what to do with my body the first time I was standing <laughs> in front of a band. Do you know what oh, I mean? Yes. Like, I made a
0: I yes, still have yes. that. Yeah, I still <laughs> have it. I do. Well, I don't know. Uh, do I dance? Do I? Do I not? I spend uh, a lot of time looking around at other people. I and think I established yeah. that
2: you awkwardly tap your foot. Is yeah. What you
1: do.
0: Ah, that's do a you good thing. You tap tip. your foot. I feel yeah. like that's well, well. That was
2: what
1: I did.
0: Yeah. Oh, well, that's a, that's a good thing that's to do. Thing.
1: Or maybe you felt yeah, you're tall, so you can stand up the back and and not tap. your head. Yeah. Uh, That's all right. I, don't I, I do. Dying. Do you want some water? I gave him some. I think you probably should have some. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> you can you get here. I'm really if worried you're going you to die on yeah. air, and
1: I can't deal with it.
0: I can talk. I don't about... need that in my
1: life.
0: I <laughs> 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 can talk about my first concert, which is um, I went and saw John Williamson. Oh my
1: god, did you? That yeah. is the most country thing. I love it so much. <laughs> was, was it because your parents wanted to go? Oh
0: yeah, yeah. And I'm, it was like we went as a family, except my older sisters didn't go because they were working. Like, they were, you know, 14, 15, 16. Yeah. So they, you know, had to work. And I remember trying to make them jealous that I was going to see... Oh, that's so cute. John Williamson. Did like, they care? Just, no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> like, I remember going, ah, I'll get to go see John Williams, And they're like, oh, mate. <laughs> yeah. I could not give two hoots, and I had the best time. I loved oh, it you? so much, you know, because it was all—it's almost like um, kids you know, music as yeah, well. Yeah. Stuff—it's all fun, like Rip, Rip Wood. <laughs> sang along to all of it, and then during the um, during the interval, he just sat on the end of the stage, and people lined up and got things signed. He did autographs, and I, like, obviously, didn't have an album or anything for him, so I just took up a. Mum gave me a beer coaster. Uh, I, I took up a beer John Williamson. <laughs> <laughs> so I had this signed
1: beer oh coaster John Williamson. Didn't he have an album that the front was a beer coaster? Or am I making that up? That you got oh. a beer um, If he didn't, he should
0: have. Yeah. I feel like
1: that, yeah. yeah. I you could him. use it as a beer coaster as well. Maybe. Maybe he got the idea from you. Maybe. Maybe. So and then I then don't the th- thought, oh, that will be a great album yes. cover.
0: Yes. The first concert I went to as um, without parents, like when I was 16, I went and caught the bus. And went and saw Bon Jovi at Olympic Park in 1994. Oh, that would have been peak Bon Jovi. Yeah, it was. And I wasn't a fan. <laughs> like, <but> my um, <gasps> my best friend at the time was a massive fan, like a member of the fan club. So we got like um, wristbands to go in, in the front part and we were oh. in like the oh second row. Oh, my God. Right. Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. Did you touch his hair? No, I wasn't that close. I was close enough. I remember explaining to people at the time, I was close enough to see the red tab on his jeans. Wow. Yeah.
1: That would have been so expensive back then too.
0: No, nah, oh, was it? Maybe it was because we had to catch the bus and then um, like they have these tour things like you get the bus from, you know, Wodonga and then it drives to the concert and then drives you back that night. Yeah. Wow. And it was uh, quite an effort to convince mum to let me to go because she was <gasps> like, oh, my God, it's, it's for a birthday, otherwise mum has to go. And she goes, all right. So I convinced her to let me go. And then and so mum had to come pick me up at like 3 o'clock in the morning Aww. after, you know. That's all right, though. And then um, and yeah. I got my ears pierced on the way back. Did you? Were
1: you allowed to get that done?
0: No, no, my friend just got it oh, pierced. Oh, no. <laughs> that is like a classic teen movie. It's so you know? mean, It's just like every <laughs> Australian teen movie. They were very uneven. Oh, oh did it hurt? Yeah, bit. A bit. Why didn't you just go to the chemist and get it done? Mm. Well, there was no chemist available on the bus back from a Bon Jovi concert (laughs) at two o'clock in the morning. (laughs) And it just had to happen at that exact moment. Yeah, it was just like, you know, my friend says, do you want me to piece your ears? I went, yeah, go on then. (gasps) Just, you know. Just went with it and they were, it was a bit dark, so they're a bit uneven. So.
2: And did it get massively infected like those home piercings always do?
0: No, no, no. I, t- I, t- I took them out as soon as I got home and did kind you? of, yeah. <laughs> yeah bad uh, idea. Yeah, the whole, the clothes back over. I, so. I
1: haven't been so jealous of my older sister. She was quite a bit me, 10 years older than me. Going off to concerts, that just reminds me of that when you were saying, mm. I remember her going to In Excess as a really little kid and her coming home going... I Did t- she
0: go to the Good Times tour with In Excess and Jimmy Barnes?
1: I don't think oh, so. I don't, know, I don't know. Deep. I wouldn't be able to tell you what year mm. it was. I just know that she touched Michael Hutchins' hair and her what? telling me that. And as a little kid being like, why can't I go to these places where you can touch Michael Hutchins' hair? Not understanding...
4: Yeah, Kind of yeah. what a concert was, you know? Yeah. Well, you thought
1: know, people Should just lined up. <laughs> he just stood on stage and <laughs> said, look, here's my hair. Yeah.
2: Form an orderly cute. Have Have a
0: a I like that. it. I can touch it.
2: Three, triple, R. Oh. You're tuned to Triple R. This show is called Breakfasters with Jeff Geraldine and Sarah. This Sunday, two p.m. Acme, as part of its series Mania, is hosting a conversation with writer and producer Vince Gilligan, the man behind shows like Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. He's joining us now on the phone. Welcome to Breakfasters. Hey
4: Jeff, how you doing? Hey Sarah, Geraldine, good day. <laughs> <Okay>. hey,
2: hey. <laughs> Uh, thanks so much for joining us yours is a name that comes up whenever people discuss the astonishing renaissance of television drama I mean it used to be that critics saw TV as the poor cousin to film what do you think has changed why are we going through such a golden age for TV now
4: Boy, there's a whole lot of reasons, uh, and I, I just, I, I'm so glad we are. It's a great time to be working in television. I think, you know, uh, probably a large part of it is that there's so many uh, wonderful tentpole movies getting made nowadays. Uh, you know, certainly in the states and whatnot. There's all these superhero movies and whatnot, but they have somewhat in the movie business abdicated uh, telling stories uh, about uh, smaller stories about. About just plain people, you know, something other than superheroes and 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 whatnot, and and uh, I think uh, that has become the uh, uh, the realm of television, uh, and and uh, I think just um, it's a I think uh, also video and demand uh, uh, video on demand has also uh, helped uh, a great deal in that people can catch up on on stories that are. Uh, You know, uh, somewhat serialized, uh, which is television wasn't really able to do that, uh, you know, a few years back. So I think those two things have contributed.
1: Mm. Uh, Breaking Bad was kind of uh, uh, contributed in its own way to this. It kind of kicked off this renaissance in TV, and uh, it did so thanks in part to the brilliant character of Walter White. I know that Breaking Bad's been off the air for a, a couple of years now, but I was just wondering if you miss Walter at all. (laughs)
4: <laughs> you know, I, I miss Brian Cranston. I really <laughs> miss having him in my life uh, in a regular, on a regular basis. Uh, he is, uh, I hope it goes without saying, a very different individual than in the character. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> hey. He's such a great guy, but you know, uh, Walter White, I really, I think the answer is no. I don't miss having him in my head. Uh, it was a very interesting experience uh, putting him in my head uh, for six years. It, toward the end of the process, toward the end of the series, I would be driving home from the office late at night, and, and I would be you know pulled up at a stoplight, and a car would come up next to me. And I I had this guy in my head so completely, I thought to myself, God, what if this guy next to me shoots me? It's all, you know, what if like, some weird drive-by shooting uh, was going to occur? And then I would stop and think, wait a minute, I'm just a writer, I'm not... <laughs> Walter White, this is reality, not a TV show it, it, it got to be a pretty heavy burden Having him in my head for years on end mm.
1: When you started writing him Did you know who you wanted him to be At the end of Breaking Bad? Did you know where that was going?
4: I knew that we were uh, endeavoring to turn the good guy into the bad guy that was that was our sort of self imposed marching orders from from day one I wanted to try something different in t v and that I wanted to have a character go through change, uh, which is not typical for t v and I wanted to turn the protagonist in the into the antagonist but having said that i didn 't quite know just how far he would go uh, in terms of becoming a criminal uh, becoming Kind of an evil guy, uh, and it was it was a, a fascinating journey to go on with uh, with my writers and myself to see how far we could take him.
0: Uh, I'm fascinated to know at what moment did you know that Brian Cranston was the man for the role?
4: You know, I was lucky to have worked with him. I was a writer on the X Files for seven years, and I put him in a uh, an episode. Um, uh, in which he was a, a very scary kind of a, a guy who takes uh, the main character of the show, uh, Agent Mulder, hostage. And uh, it was a tough part to cast because we needed a scary, dramatic actor who could be formidable. Uh, but at the end of the uh, the hour, you had to feel bad for him when he, when he died. And it was tough finding a guy who could be scary and also sympathizable. So when we finally found Brian, and I didn't know who he was at the time way back when when we cast him for the x-files but when we found him i remember thinking to myself you know note to self this guy is great i want to work with him again in the future and then in the interim of course he became famous for the tv series malcolm in the middle and yeah. suddenly he was known throughout the world as this funny goofy guy and i, I never saw any of that working with him on the x-files I thought, <laughs> this guy is a chameleon he can do anything i got to get this guy you know as as walter white
2: it's, I've heard it said that your work, I guess particularly Breaking Bad, captured or even anticipated the sort of bleakness of post-GFC America. Were you surprised then by the rise of Trump or was that something that you'd kind of seen coming?
4: Well, I don't, you know, <laughs> I'm not a big political guy. I, I, uh, I don't think, no, I didn't think, uh, I didn't see any of that coming. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I really, at the end of the day, I thought, uh, you know, this was uh, a character that I, I found intriguing, and I, I, I was looking at it more uh, in terms of a character who was facing the world's worst midlife crisis.
1: Like, <laughs> you know? Yeah, that is some <laughs> midlife <laughs> crisis. <laughs>
4: yeah. I was thinking in terms of something people could sort of universally uh, uh, you know, feel feel for, feel, you know you know, understand sort of across uh, different boundaries. I I wasn't uh, thinking in terms of topicality but no, I, I don't think anybody saw, quite saw Trump coming. I certainly
1: didn't. <laughs> um, <laughs> we, we made a point before that Bryan Cranston played Walter White in a way that allowed the audience to gain a great sympathy for a really ostensibly evil man in the end. Were you surprised that people kind of like empathize or sympathize with this character?
4: I am still surprised. I'm I'm uh, and I think it's wonderful and I never argue with folks when they say to me, "Why are you so so tough on Walter White?" because I'm kind of known to be less sympathetic toward him than than most fans. I I feel like this was a a character who, a uh, person, well, it's not a person, it's a character, but if he's real, this is a guy who, who squandered a great many opportunities along the way to not be a criminal and to to uh, accomplish the goals that he set out to accomplish without, you know, breaking the law and hurting his family and, and, and hurting his loved ones. And, and So I'm a little less sympathetic. My own mother, of all people, my sweet, my sweet uh, uh, little mom, uh, uh, Gail Gilligan, back in uh, Chesterfield, uh, Virginia is much more sympathetic to this guy than I am. She always says to me, I wanted him to get away at the end. Why did you have to, you know, why couldn't he get away?
1: And I was like, okay mom. <laughs> I love that so much. Uh, we're now into the third season of Better Call Saul here in Australia and that, that is a show that's a prequel to Breaking Bad and we see the China transformation of Jimmy McGill into Saul Goodman who was uh, the very well known lawyer in Breaking Bad. Why did you choose soul is the spinoff character of all the characters from breaking bad as the for the prequel
4: excellent question and i don't have a great answer for it <laughs> and i guess we get asked that all the time but and it's always a good question but i guess the the, the, the best answer is that he was not our favorite character uh uh, there were other characters like Jesse, for instance, that I could certainly see spinning off uh, much more uh, you know, clearly, uh, dramatically speaking, but I guess the best answer is that it was fun to put words in Saul's mouth. He was a fun character to write for. He was a character on Breaking Bad who was very much comfortable in his own skin, and he always was so glib, so good with words. Of course... Him being good with words took a great many of us a great many hours to accomplish. But but you know you know when he's talking it just sort of rolls uh, trippingly off his tongue all these crazy uh, you know scams and whatnot that he that he uh, promotes and it just it was he was a fun guy to write for and it started a bit of, as a joke in the writers room we'd say you know when we start doing the uh, the Saul Goodman spinoff we we got to do thus and so and we all laugh and then suddenly we we made the joke so many times that we thought to ourselves maybe we better. Or seriously, think about this. Maybe we should try it.
1: It's been such a beautiful kind of slow moving series. How far do you want to take Saul's story? Do you know yet?
4: Well, he has to become eventually. Uh, Jimmy McGill, the character on Better Call Saul, uh, uh, Saul's precursor, has to eventually become Saul Goodman. We we know that, and it's going to be in our in our minds a sad day when that happens. Uh, mm. A bit of a, a bit of a tragedy, uh, and. So we know we have to get there, but we've also uh, handed to the audience that there's a life beyond the Breaking Bad era. We've got these uh, black-and-white uh, teasers we put at the beginning of, of our three seasons uh, thus far, and and they show a time after the, the whole events of Breaking Bad uh, where... Uh, a guy named Gene, who used to be Jimmy McGill, who used to be Saul Goodman, is now, you know, living his third life, uh, his third uh, identity as a as a uh, the manager of a of a uh, franchise bakery, uh, Cinnabon, and so we, we figure we have got some more story left, uh, you know, after he becomes Saul Goodman. You know, we got we've got we got to figure out the, where it, where it goes after Breaking Bad.
0: You. Uh, pretty much responsible for some of the greatest characters ever been on TV. Is there a character in TV land that you wish you had written?
4: You know, this is going to sound like a very strange answer, but I don't know if you get the uh, the Andy Griffith Show in Australia. Uh, but the, char- <laughs> the character of Barney Fife, Deputy Barney Fife on the Andy Griffith Show, I really think is one of the all time <laughs> great <laughs> television characters because he is so self deluded he, he is this this little man in this a small town who who has visions of grandiosity uh, for himself and i it just always tickles me every time I catch an old episode of that show. I think to myself. The combination of the writing and then the, uh, the the work the actor, Don Knotts, did playing that character just always tickles me. And he's a very, very, uh, very rich, complex character. And I, folks who are listening are going to say, was well, he out of is he off his office, Rocker? Like, I'm, I'm serious. I'm 100% serious. It's a very, very complex character, I think.
2: Uh, Breaking Bad and Saul share the same universe as we've been talking about how much of the behind the scenes team is the same have you been able to like assemble a crew and then just keep them moving on to the next project
4: that's exactly right. A big part of the reason, back to the question of why why a spinoff or why a Saul spinoff, partly it was to <clears throat> keep everybody working as much as we could. We, we have this this wonderful crew in Albuquerque, New Mexico, that we we didn't want to part with. We didn't want to say goodbye to. So we figured, you know, let's do a spinoff, and we've we've kept as many of our folks uh, from Breaking Bad as possible. Uh, for instance, out of our seven writers. Three of them uh were on uh, breaking bad we tried to keep the other folks as well but they they were off doing their own thing uh but it was just a a great family of people in front of and behind the camera on breaking bad and and we have uh continued working with as many of them as possible i'm not sure exactly the ratio but i'd probably say a good 60 to 70 percent of the crew uh
1: we've got to let you go in a second but i Yes, I just want to know one last question. If you could make another spin-off of any other of the characters on Breaking Bad or even from uh, Better Call Saul, who would it be?
4: Well, and this is I have to preface this, this is no promise that it'll ever happen. <laughs> I I I I want to know more about what happened to Jesse Pinkman because he in yes. a, in a r- very real sense, you know, he was a, a very real sense he was uh, kind of the moral center or certainly a moral center uh, of of Breaking Bad. He became, uh, you know, Walter White's conscience uh, at a certain point, if you will. And he was such a great character uh, because of Aaron Paul, who played him who did such a wonderful job. And Aaron Paul really is the sweetest guy in the world, one of the best actors there is. I would love to work with him again, and I'd love to see that happen, but I I don't want that misread as a promise. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I sure would like to see that. Yeah, headlines everywhere now. (laughs) Um,
2: The session is this Sunday, 2 p.m. at Acme. It's part of Series Mania. I do believe this session might be sold out, but you can get tickets for a range of other obsessions um, in the series. We've been talking to writer and producer Vince Gilligan. Thanks so much for joining us on
4: Breakfasters. Thank you Jeff, Sarah, Geraldine. Great talking to you guys. You too. Thanks Vince. You're listening to the best bits of the Breakfasters from 3 Triple R.